Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete. I'm Kerry Rouse, and I travel to racetracks around the U.S., where I interview members of the racing community and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. I'm here with Todd Brown, and we are at the Rooster Hall Mobile Headquarters here um, at VIR for the uh, GT World Challenge, where um, you've got a team, you're not racing on this team, you do club racing, but um, tell me a little bit about everything going on in your world for racing at the moment. Okay, you got it. So, <clears throat> in pro racing, we've got two cars, we've got uh, Colin Garrett running in uh, TCX, yep. which is Touring Car X, which is the top of the heap there in Touring Car. Presently, we're in the lead um, with a 30-point lead over second place. It's, it's a nice margin at this point, almost halfway through the season. And then we have a GT4 car also. Uh, Colin is driving half of the race in that car, and the other half is my co-driver from last year, Johan Schwartz, who uh, is famous kind of in his own right for setting Guinness Book of World Record for the longest continuous drift. Oh, that was him? Yeah. So that's, that's Johan. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You can interview him if you want. I would love to. How long, <coughs> how, how long was the drift? I have to Eight ask. hours, 232 miles. <laughs> but it's five refuelings. I know. I've with heard another, about it. Oh, it's you got to see it. You, get, you need to watch it before interviewing him. Yeah, I do. I, I can do that. I don't think yeah. I'm going to watch five hours, eight hours. No, no. The, the video is probably ten minutes. Okay. Yeah. And it, it shows you about all the highlights and everything. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, that'd be great. It's got, I, I, he, he can tell you probably better. I want to say an excess of three to four, five million views. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. So a uh, little story about Johan. He contacted us. We had another driver who was very good. <clears throat> and Johan called me and he said, uh, I'd like to be your driver. And I knew of Johan, certainly. And this is before he set the Guinness record, by the way. And he said, and I can bring sponsorship. Well, to an owner, that's an awful lot. Yeah. This is a very expensive sport. You know, the old joke is, how do you become a millionaire? We start with three million, mm -hmm. you know, that type of yeah. thing. But it's, <clears throat> I'm, even with the sponsors that we have with Colin Garrett and 1111 and all the military backing and sponsors that he has, doesn't quite cover everything, but they, it's a it's a big sponsorship, and that allows us to, to keep going. Um, pardon my dog there. That's okay. Um, he, uh, he 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 wants to be with us apparently. <laughs> well, um, Johan um, brings the sponsors, and uh, that helps us a lot. Last year, um, matter of fact, here at this race, we came in second in in AM class, had a had a pretty good run, especially towards the end of the year. Um, Colin came very, very close of winning the TCX championship, came within one spot oh. of winning the championship, <clears throat> and um, Pepper, let's just stay down there, okay, buddy? Um, so it's really hard to make money in racing. Yeah. I think it's, the challenge is not losing too much. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've heard from more than one person and and it's it's just 
it's not a money making venture really and, and, and <clears throat> not unless you get to the very top yeah and then you know for example Colin ran uh, Xfinity and some truck racing yep and as I understand to race an Xfinity season is four to five million dollars <laughs> if you want to run up front it's six to seven million <laughs> and and then cup is probably between 18 and 22 million yeah um, and you know I may be wrong on those numbers but that's what I understand when it's all said and done so relative to that it's pretty inexpensive to run in sports car racing yeah because it's normally sports car racing has always been built on the gentleman driver <clears throat> where the gentleman comes in and has a pro as his as his uh, second driver mm -hmm. and you share responsibilities or it's the gentleman driver who sponsors a pro or a gentleman driver just driving himself but there's normally a gentleman driver <clears throat> and gentleman means the guy paying the money yeah and in this form of racing there's some very good gentleman drivers there are also some guys it's frankly who may have more money than they have ability mm -hmm. but I think it surprised me when I came here last year for the first time how good these drivers were and you know I've won some national championships in club racing with BMW club racing and some other things and I've done Baja racing and I've did karting and all kind of stuff um, by the way Baja racing is the scariest thing I've ever done <laughs> That would that was uh, that's difficult. I know but, you. you uh, speaking of that, I know you probably know Mike Skeen. Oh yeah. So I interviewed him, mm -hmm. and you know, it was just talking to him is funny. He goes, "Yeah, one Baja, you know, uh, one Pikes Peak." And I said, what? <laughs> Mike's on a different planet almost. Yeah. No, no, he is. Mike is a very very dedicated racer. Yeah. And incredibly talented. <clears throat> he coached me a little bit when I was going to uh, uh, run and. LMP3 yeah. at Daytona mm -hmm. and I had decided that's where I was going to go in 2023 and then uh, Billy Glavin who owned the car I interviewed Billy okay great guy he gave me some great advice he said Todd if you're going to do this you really need to stop sports car or, you know uh, your BMW racing for at least six months and just concentrate on this car which is an aero car now I was doing, I think, pretty well. Um, I, I ran a 40, 146, I believe, here in the LMP3, and the fastest pro was 142, and most of the guys would do about 144, 145. So I was in my very first time, I was a second or two off, two, two to three seconds, <clears throat> which is okay for the first time out. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would. Start, this was here for a two-day event. And it's pretty consistent in the, at those times. And I needed to shave about at least a second and a half off that time to be competitive. And as those people who are listening or watching might know, to gain a second and a half is an awful lot. Yeah. And that would take about six months of pure concentration on that aero car. Because in <clears throat> four days of testing, I spun five times. Didn't do any damage to the car, thank God. But I did them all in slow turns. Because when you're going slowly, 
you believe the car is going to stick, but just mechanical grip at that point. Yeah. Just the tires really in the ground. <clears throat> There's no arrow coming into play. And your mind is tricked if you're not used to it, thinking that it's going to stick because it's stuck in much higher speed corners. And I would spin in, in, in the corners that were slower. <laughs> and here at VIR, as fast as that car was, you could flat foot it all the way up the S's completely. Man. And um, except for the very end at 10, you had to lift a little bit there. But uh, <clears throat> that took some guts and then Road Atlanta, yeah. coming down the 10 story drop, you don't lift there either. Wow. And, <laughs> and, you, and you don't lift a whole lot going into one. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's a different story. Yeah. So I decided instead of, actually that was for 22. That's when I was okay. going to run it. 22. Instead of running that, I was going to run pro here. Okay. And I did last year. Okay. And it was a fine decision. I, I didn't mind that a bit. Do I regret it? Nah, not really. <clears throat> My four days in there, um, I learned a lot. Um, I'm probably a little better driver for it, but it is a completely different discipline yeah. than it is driving a regular, you know, yeah. production-based car. And, you know, BMW has been my go-to uh, for now 30 years. Okay. <laughs> You've been going through there for yeah, a while. I got, I've, I've been fortunate in business. I owned my own investment firm. Mm -hmm. I've now retired, but i um, been fortunate because I'm a car guy, too to have owned every M3 they've ever made. Mm. <clears throat> I started with the E36, the second one, and then went back to E30 and then kind of worked my way forward. I got you. But um, my favorite is the E46. It's, I think it's what M was meant to be, the M3 was meant to be. It's still rather light compared to today's cars, mm -hmm. nimble. Powerful, but not not as powerful as today. Today's cars are faster. My new M4 with uh, X Drive, all-wheel drive, it's zero to sixty. Two magazines have clocked it at two point eight seconds. <laughs> Gosh! And I get lightheaded. I've done it a couple times. <laughs> um, but you know, I that whole car guy thing goes back to nineteen sixty-eight, and I was I was born in sixty-two, so I was six years old, maybe five. And I can tell you that's when I woke up to cars. To this day, I can almost tell you exactly what car, what make, what model, what year every car was on my block. And that was back in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I've lived in Virginia since I was 10. That was, you know, really early. So my mother knew that I was this car nut. I had every Hot Wheels car from 1968 to 1970 that oh, they made. Wow. <clears throat> I used to, I, I got a race car, track, race track of different sorts every year for 11 straight years. <clears throat> From the time I think I was five to the time I was, what, 16? Yep. And um, in 1971, my mother took me to see the movie Le Mans. And I say Le Mans because I was a French major in college and I studied in Paris. So it's, that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> Not Le Mans, Le Mans. So um, she took me to see the movie. She, we walked out of that movie and we had 180 degree different opinions about racing. All I wanted to do was be a race car driver. 
and from her vantage point, her son was not about to be a race car driver because they all crashed and burned up. Yeah. And that movie had a bit of that. Mm -hmm. So um, she saw me race, I believe only because my, my son was in the same race uh, when I was 53 years old. Oh my. <laughs> and she enjoyed it, she really did. My dad was there um, and he's, you know, he, he always knew that uh, the car was my carrot. He, he told me when I started college, he goes, you graduate with honors and I'll get you a car. Well, he knew what my, that carrot was. Yeah. Well, let's just say I got the car. There you go. Yeah. Nice. So um, life's been good, um, certainly in terms of the racing stuff. And, and I'm really living the dream. I mean, I know this is a dream for so many people, and I don't take it for granted at all. Yeah. You know, we have, I, I say I employ, but I probably have 13 people on the payroll yep. <clears throat> for this weekend. That makes a difference in 13 families' lives. Mm -hmm. um, my uh, car chief on one of my cars just got married last weekend. We were on our way to the wedding in my E46 M3, and we uh, hit a small boulder. Oh my God. <clears throat> well, it didn't do any body damage, but the wheel guy said it's the worst damage he's ever seen to a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible, and obviously, I was able to limp to the side and get a tow, you know, a flatbed. Yeah. But that was on his way to his wedding. Oh. So it's a we have a really close family, yep. and everybody's you know, all for one and one for all type of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we and we run it like a family. We don't run it like some strict business or something. And with that comes success in 2019. We are fortunate to be named the number three BMW race team in the world. And our driver, Johan, was number two driver in the world. Um, our goal this year is to get Colin Garrett, our driver, to the number one spot in the world through points. Mm -hmm. And if he wins <clears throat> most of the races here on out through TCX and podiums a few more times, I think he's got a shot for that. Because very few drivers are racing in two cars in a, in a series. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. And he's got to, you know, jump in a car that is more street-based and, and jump in a car that's more race-based. Yeah. GT4 is substantially more race car than the, than the M2 is. Yeah. What, what is the GT4 car? It's the BMW, it's the new G82 BMW M4 GT4. Okay. So it is both cars are purpose-built race cars by BMW in Munich, and the R in GT, well, it's the M4 GT4, okay, race model, okay? Yeah. The GT4 is, means it's race. The M2 is the M2 CSR, which is race. Mm -hmm. So it comes all stripped, you know, all in white, caged. Uh, both of them <coughs> are of automatic transmission variants. Interestingly, the TCX car is uh, uh, dual clutch, a DCT they call it in, in, in BMW terms. The M4, which is much more an advanced car, is actually an automatic. It's not sequential. It's not even dual clutch. 
It's an automatic transmission. Wow. But it shifts so darn fast. Um, the M4 is slightly heavier than the M2, but it's a substantially larger car. It's just got a lot more carbon fiber on it. Yeah. And um, I understand that, thank goodness I haven't tested this one, that the front bumper with the splitter is $12,000. Ooh, man. Yeah, and a rear wing is $9,000. So you don't want to damage those. No. Now they're super light. The door is, I think, six. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, these prices are the price of the entire race car that I drive. There, there you go. And and uh, yeah, it's it's even mind-boggling to me. So um, the only way that you can get light is to spend more money. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the way it works. But. Um, the M4 is not a super light car. I think it's 3,400 pounds. Okay. So that's not super heavy. It's not super light. Right. My, my club race car, my E46, has about 470 horsepower, about the same amount of horsepower GT4 does in, in the tune that we have here for, mm -hmm. for SRO. And um, that car weighs 2,600 pounds. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, the technology, there's so much more technology in this car. Uh, this this M4 GT4 has manual brakes. I got power brakes in the in the other one because it was a street car. Yeah. These are racing brakes. These yeah. are AP racing brakes. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, it's, uh, if you sit in the car, you automatically think you're in Le Mans or something like that. The, the cockpit, you know, the steering wheel's, you know, a half moon shape. We got two air conditioner blowers right there in your face. Um, you got this computer board that's there, another computer monitor that's our rear view camera. Okay. Um, and then our dash is not a regular dash, it's a racing dash. And it takes some time to understand where to look for all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. There's three speed limiters on the car. There's a pit speed limiter okay. and two track speed limiters. And I don't need to get into all the details, but we had one of our drivers hit one at Coda in the last race. And he had to pull over and refire the car. Oh man. Yeah. You can't you can't just do it on the fly. Oh. Yeah. I mean, why is there a speed limiter for the track? Because <clears throat> um, especially in Europe, but we have in the United States here too where instead of doing a full course yellow, mm -hmm. they'll throw a 35 flag. Okay. Or a 45 flag, whatever it might be. They'll throw a flag that allows the drivers to go no faster than that speed on the track. Now it's up to the driver to do that. Well, uh, if the way to safely get through that is push a button and the car won't go faster than that. Got it. Yeah. If you don't push the button, you better and you, and you can program it for that speed. Okay. You can program the car for any speed. The, the, but I think ours was 50 maybe. Well, you don't go very fast at 50 miles an hour on a racetrack. Yeah. You go 50 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, two, two great drivers this year. Mm -hmm. um, we are Pro-Am in GT4. And somewhat ironically, Johan is the M, yeah, and Collins the pro. I was going to ask you that. 
because in FIA world, um, the governing body for racing globally, uh, they really they want a younger driver understanding that his reflexes are quicker, takes more. He doesn't have the uh, the term what I'm looking what I'm looking for self preservation. He's just kind of goes for it. An older person has more self-preservation. He's probably paying for the car. Um, and his reflexes aren't quite as quick. So when you turn 50 or 55, I forget which, maybe it's both, you drop down a level. Oh. So if you're a silver pro, you automatically drop into bronze hmm. um, uh, amateur. And that's exactly what happened to, uh, to uh, Johan. Johan this past year. <clears throat> last year and this year. Now, Colin is 21 years old. Yeah. And he raced NASCAR. Well, guess what? Yeah. He's a pro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Johan's slightly faster right now, um, I think. But probably by the end of the season, they'll be even up. Or maybe even Colin will get him a little bit. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Is, but, there, is there a different designation besides just bronze and silver? Is yes. there gold? There's gold and there's platinum. Okay. Now, <clears throat> we have no platinum drivers that I know of in SRI. I don't even think we're allowed to have them. Um, we may have a gold or two. Um, that's getting way, way up there. So platinum would be somebody who is maybe uh, an IndyCar driver. Formula One, certainly. Mm -hmm. uh, WRC at the very highest level. The highest level in racing, the very top drivers could be platinum. Um, gold is really, really good. Silver is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what? There are some bronze that are better than, than silvers. Yeah. Because their age has kicked them out. And it's actually an advantage for an older person to get knocked down because that opens the door for them yeah to run with an am or run as the am and pro am sure sure yeah, yeah. so it helps yeah it's great to be over penalizes 50. the young guy a little bit yeah <laughs> it is it's the system in which we live um so it's okay so um what you are you racing um the club racing this year yeah i sure am um uh, i've raced a uh two races and I won all those races okay uh, two race weekends okay so on a race weekend we normally run three races sometimes four okay but oftentimes three one Friday well maybe one Friday two Saturday and one Sunday got it yeah or maybe two Saturday one Sunday or yep. one one and one so our next race is at Summit Point Raceway it happens to be here in Virginia or well, actually it's in West Virginia pardon me and I'm that's you going there? That and that's going to be the uh, Can Am. No, no, I don't think it could be. But the fifteenth and sixteenth of July. 
I don't remember. It's a BMW Club race. I know. Okay. Yeah. So my son's going to be racing too, which is great. Um, and we've got probably five or six cars that we're going to be taking there. Okay. And hopefully I've, I've widened my car a little bit so I can put a little wider tires on it. <laughs> hopefully it'll be all completed and uh, I'll be debuting that. So that's a, that's a Saturday, Sunday. So there'll be three races. Okay. Yeah. So I like that track and I think I've got the track record there. Yeah, for, I've for not, BMW club racing. I've not been there. I've heard it's kind of like an old school, it is. pretty tight, yep. hardly any straight type place. Well, I'll be going 145 in the straightaway, so it's not like it's real slow. Yeah. But it, there's one long straight. Yeah. And uh, you can get a good head of steam coming onto that straight. It's not as long as VIR here, for example. Right. But it's, and then it's it's a driver's track. I, it, it's got a lot of character, and I like that. Mm -hmm. I instructed there for seven, eight years, so um, obviously I got a little bit of an advantage. But um, my son does really well there, and there's a, there's a few parts of the track that are they have some secrets. Yeah, you know? yeah. You don't give up the secrets, do you? No, not not <laughs> there anyway. I, I'm pretty. I'm my my uh, team manager and car uh, crew chief, uh, Eric Meyer. He says I talk too much and tell too many of my secrets. <laughs> but you know, I, in BMW, it's a club. We yeah. got to remember that BMW club racing. As a matter of fact, club is in the name twice. BMW CCA club racing. Yeah. BMW Car Club of America. BMW club mm -hmm. racing. Yeah. So, as far as I'm concerned, in a club, you share. It's not just some big secret. Now, pro's a little different story. Yeah. You don't show your hand all that yep. much. But, um, yeah, so I share a lot. And we did in Soapbox Derby. <clears throat> My son was uh, a two-time world champion in Soapbox Derby racing, Sean Brown. And uh, we had some incredible secrets that we debated on sharing, and we did end up sharing them. Most people did not implement them though, because they thought they were too wacky. But you know, they worked really, really yeah. well. Yeah. That's you can amazing. actually tune a soapbox derby car to a note because it's, it's the harmonic harmonics going through the wooden frame, mm -hmm. and you want the you, you don't want the uh, harmonics to get too up and down. Uh, yeah, yeah. You want it to be. Uh, through the car it's amazing the difference that vibration will slow the car down and if there's no vibration through the car it'll just fly so how do you tune the vibration out of it so for example <clears throat> you have a wooden floorboard and my son would get his ear he's got a very good ear he put it to the front of the floorboard the floorboard is completely stripped except for the essentials the axles and the steering and things like this are on it and the pulleys and everything for that and it's a little sophisticated but Body's off, weights are off, everything's off, um, and it's sitting on two pieces of wood at the end of the floorboard. And this is about a six foot long car, maybe seven feet long. And it's just pieces of wood on the end, so it's not gonna absorb any of the vibration. And I'll tap my finger on the rear axle, just go like that. And when the car is not in tune, It'll go, boo, boo, 
and he will tell me when it stops. I'll, I'll hit it, like, boop, he'll go, stop. Stop. Boop, boop. We'd move it up or down five inch pounds. So we measure that in inch pounds, what not, is it not foot pounds. What is it? The rear kingpin. Okay. So the you can imagine the rear axle on a soapbox derby car goes across and there's a, a pin that goes right in the middle of it. It allows it to move. Yep. But you keep it from moving by triangulating it with metal rods that come out, okay, and you affix them to the car. Mm -hmm. To That's how you would, um, if you want to call it, it's not tow, but you know, turning right or left, you want to get it dead even and tighten it down. But that center kingpin is the key to the whole thing. <clears throat> and when you get it exactly right, it'll sing for about nine, ten seconds. Oh, wow. It'll go So, and you know you got it. And the car will fly. And we, talk, we would tell people that and actually show them and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how was it that you figured that out? Like, oh, we should do this. And there's other things too, but. Um, so we went to a indoor rally where we race in the wintertime inside in a building. That's kind of hard to do with these soapbox derby racers because you know at, at Akron, the world championships, they're going 36 miles an hour, mm -hmm. they're moving. <clears throat> Obviously inside they're not going that fast. and. We were always of the understanding that the maximum tail weight, because remember you're on the you're on the starting ramp, and then you'll go from there, and you want as much weight in the rear as you possibly can to stay on the starting ramp as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And there's some tricks there too, but not not cheating, but they're just by by the rules. And we could always run 15 pounds tail heavy. Wherever we raced, it was 15 pounds tail heavy. So the tail could weigh 15 pounds more than the front. And you had an overall weight. I think it would, in his class, it was uh, 245 or 235, depending on the class. So with him in the, in the car. And by the way, all three of my kids raced, but he was the one that won the, won the championships. Um, and we had a ESPN documentary done on our family's oh, E3, wow. E60. That's cool. Yeah. Um, after he won the first one, and I, I don't need to get into the whole thing, but it was a it was a human interest story how he won. So um, anyway, uh, we show up to this indoor rally, and we get our tail handed to us. I say we, I Sean did, and I'm his crew guy. Uh, he got spanked, and he never got spanked. And it's because they had unlimited tail weight. There was no, I mean, people were piling 40 pounds of weight in the back of their car, and we had maybe 10, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> that's why we got killed. And this guy was selling some tools, and his, uh, what was his name? It'll, it'll come to me in a second, but he had, oh, Hunt was his last name, and his, his company's name was Hunt for Speed. And he had tools, there were setup tools for the car, and they were a lot more sophisticated than you think. So our soapbox derby car, the championship cars, 
they had one and a half thousandths towed in in the front, one and a half thousandths of an inch. The rears were exactly at zero to the thousandth. The, when you get in the car, it had a lot of positive camber. When a kid gets in the car, it's exactly at zero. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole lot of tools you have to have to get that right. Well, he was making these tools that were wonderfully made, well made, and they were exactly what we needed, and they were very inexpensive. I couldn't have produced them for that price. So I bought a number of tools from him, and he saw how serious we were about this. And my son ended up going to school for uh, race engineering, so he was really into it. Yeah. You know, I'm into it. I was a French major, though. He's really into this. <laughs> So he's, he saw my son and saw this potential, and he said, you guys doing anything for the next hour or so? And I said, no, we got knocked out. We had another race got it. the next day, but yep. we already knocked out. And he, he helped us, and he showed us exactly how to do it, and we paid a ton of attention to that. And uh, it worked really well. I don't know if he ever lost after that. <laughs> and he was a great driver to begin with. He drove with his fingertips, and when you're at Akron, for well, in any big track, and at Culpeper, Virginia, where we are, we have one of the nicest tracks on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. It's a soapbox derby built track, and again, we go, we're going probably 35, 36 miles an hour down that thing. And there's wind, because this thing's probably a quarter of a mile long, mm -hmm. and it's blowing you and everything else, and you, you don't want to fight it, but you want to fight it just a little bit to stay in your... So that's what you would feel. And you have to, you have to be kind of one with the car because it's energy running through the car. Mm -hmm. This is the big thing about derby racing that people don't understand, and it really relates to car racing. And by, by the way, Billy Glavin is, is part of the story. Okay, cool. Um, in derby racing, there's normally a crown to the road. And when you take off out of the ramp, you follow the crown because that's speed. It's falling downhill. So you follow the crown, and then on the side of the road, you run the cones as close as you possibly can, which is on the white line of the road. And somehow, miraculously, my son could ride it about an inch off the cones, maybe half an inch, and not hit a one of them. And he's down in the car, and he, he can't even see the, he can see the cones, but he can't see them where they cross the wheels. Yeah. He just knows where they are. I don't know how he did it. I lap after, you know, race after race after race after race. And then at Akron, it's not like that. And at Akron, you find what you believe is the groove in the track, and then you got to deal with the wind because it's a big, big track. Anyway, um, I'll share one more part of the kind of the secret type of thing, and this relates back to cars. Yep. And people who are racers are going to go, oh, my, I didn't know that because very few people know it. But if in a soapbox derby car or a street car or a race car, if you were to measure be exactly between the axles, if you will, front and rear mm -hmm. with the steering wheel perfectly straight, exactly in the middle, in a derby car, you can take a pencil and put it right on that line, exactly between the axles. In a car, you know, you could measure it and put a little paint, paint drop or something. Mm -hmm. Any weight, any weight, one ounce, one pound, doesn't make any difference. In front of that line, 
is going to show 100% front weight. If you move it anywhere behind that line, it's 100% rear weight. So if you have a pound and you have it over the front axle, obviously it's going to show its front weight. If you move it back four feet and it's still in front of that line, it's going to be 100% front weight. Rear weight's the same way. If you put it in the back of the car, it's going to be 100% rear weight. But if you put it right past that line towards the back of the car, it's 100% rear weight. Mm -hmm. So in soapbox derby racing, where do you want your front weight to be? As far back as possible. Not in the front of the car. Remember, you want that weight to be on the mm -hmm. starting ramp as long as possible. So we had custom weights made to go around the steering geometry and everything else. So they're exactly in front of that line. They would show 100% as front weight, but the, but the weight is on, it's like in the middle of the car. So is that almost like the... the and the rear weight's all the way in the back. So is there almost like a center of gravity for the front and center of gravity for the back, and then they, they figure out where, it, where... You want your center of gravity for the front to be as close to the middle. <laughs> well, you want... In most race cars, you want to be tail-heavy if you can be. Yeah. Okay? And folks that are, folks that are front-heavy... Um, folks that are front-heavy try to take as much weight out of the front as they possibly can to move it to the rear. Yeah. All right. So when we're looking at racing, it's a, it's here, here, perfect example. Go back to Billy, Billy Glavin, JR3 racing, mm -hmm. great operation, great guy. So I went to him for some fab work on my uh, E46 club race car. D did great work by the way. And we were discussing where to put the dry sump oil container and he wanted to put it in the passenger footwell yeah okay and i said no it's got to be behind this line he goes well the reason we do that is so that we don't have to run lines as long i said well you're talking about two and a half three feet here maybe three, three feet so that's not going to make much difference he goes well it's three feet of oil line i said but taking that weight from here to here, you're going to go from 100% front weight to 100% rear weight. And that's 14 pounds. So that's a 28-pound differential. Mm -hmm. And he hadn't heard that apparently before. And in talking to a lot of racers, they had never heard that. Again, you put it on scales, it's 28 pounds difference. That's a ton in racing. Yeah. It's kind of like taking a, um, uh, uh, a cool shirt box that's filled with water and ice, and a big one, and moving it from in front of that line to behind the line. It yeah. literally becomes 100% tail weight. And so we moved ours right behind the passenger seat area, mm -hmm. right where the old fuel cell was, and because um, the fuel cell's now in the back of the car. Um, boy, that car won a bunch of championships after that. And I'm not saying that was the reason, but all this stuff, it came from soapbox derby racing. Yeah. It just, it, it's, it's just physics. That's interesting. Yeah, isn't it though? Um, so you also mentioned you're, you, have a, you have a nemesis in club racing. <laughs> Charles Harding. He's now a teammate, as it turns out. But Charles is a, 
good friend of mine. Um, I think you've interviewed him. Yes. Uh, Charles is a very good racer. Um, if I were to critique us, I would say he's more aggressive. I'm a little smoother. Um, one of us is going to win. We just don't know which one. <laughs> so when we start a race, we're normally on the front row. Either he's first and I'm second or vice versa. <laughs> and he's normally going to beat me. No, I'm normally going to beat him to turn one. I have a little bit more power than he does. Now, he's upped his game a little bit, so I don't know if I'm going to have any more. <laughs> but he'll go deeper into turn one than I will normally. Yeah. And uh, so there's been a few times where he's got me into turn one. <clears throat> Somewhere in the, in the, during the race, we're going to swap positions. Yeah. <clears throat> but we could go for an hour and a half, and we have nose to tail. And let me tell you, that's exhausting. Yeah. That is exhausting. At <laughs> <clears throat> a 35-minute race, 30-minute race, mm -hmm. and you're, you're racing as hard as you possibly can with a guy you know at any moment can take advantage of a mistake you make, <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. You know? So that's, we, we call ourselves frenemies. Yeah. You know? Our nemesis, <laughs> but great friends. Yeah, yeah that's a cool story. Yeah. Um, yeah, he introduced me to to this group. So, um, it's it's. I'm sure you you probably have many many more stories. A whole lot of them. And and I will say this, um, I love SRO, and I love endurance racing too. And that was a little bit more IMSA. Maybe We're, this is more sprint. IMSA is more endurance. Yeah. Yep. Um, club racing is really kind of my home. And um, I'll do probably. Hmm, eight to 12 events, 10 events a year, yep. which is three to four races at an event. Yeah. So that's a lot of races. Yeah. And I'll intersperse that from time to time. We'll go to the Baja and do some Baja stuff or um, possibly do some karting or something like that. Um, but I'm 60 years old now, so I'm not quite as spry. That's my dog, Pepper. That's okay. Pepper can stay. <clears throat> um, I'm not as spry as I was. I I, I want to be. I've had a personal trainer for 12 and a half years uh -huh. just for racing. Yep. And now we have a home that has a full gym in it, so my trainer comes to us, thank God. <laughs> so 7 o'clock on two or three days a week. I'm. She's putting me through stuff that I would never put myself yeah, through. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what you need trainers for. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what they're for. Yeah. So... Um, I could always do better on my diet. We all could, I guess. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I also want to enjoy some life, too. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. Todd, thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a Pepper, pleasure talking to you. Sorry, sorry for Pepper your... Pepper wanted to get in the interview as that's well. That's right. So. There we go. I want to thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like, but I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. Simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag. Bye.